Good morning, church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit, and that you reveal your thoughts to mankind, that you long to unite your church and for us to be a beautiful bride on this earth, that you intend for us to be a city on a hill, and that has never changed. God, I pray this morning that you will take these words, your words, and send them forth to your people and to your world. And God, you would unite us like never before and put your power in your church. God, it is your desire. And we say yes and amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Jordan asked me to do the sermon this morning because a week or so ago he woke up really sick. It's not COVID, but he, he was really sick, and um, he asked me if I would bring the message. And in the last few weeks, God has really poured out his spirit on me in a wonderful way, and he has taught me a whole lot of things. And, um, and I believe what he's taught me for today is for me and for you and for anybody else that's listening. I write a blog every week, and I have the ladies in the office come in, and they listen to it. And last week, I wrote this as a blog. I had not finished it yet. I had written quite a bit of it down. And when I started reading, they looked at me, and they knew I was going to be doing the, the sermon, and they looked at me, and they said, that's not a blog. That's a sermon. So I took what they said and turned what I was going to publish as a blog into a sermon. I wrote something else for that blog. So today you're going to get what, um, what I feel like God has given me. And I pray it will bless you, convict you, and give you great hope all at the same time, which is what God usually does. When a parent dies and children fight over their earthly possessions, whether it's money or stuff, I can't help but think a little bit badly of that parent. I just can't help it. Children are a reflection of their parents. And scripture goes so far as to confirm that and say this about a church leader. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? If you want to know the character of a man or a woman, look at their household. Is there peace and unity? Is their home full of selfishness and harsh words to each other? Do they build each other up or tear each other down? Our children tell the story of who we are. They reflect us. They tell the world what it's really like inside the four walls of our house. Children are shaped by our attitude. We can deny that truth if we want to. But children come into our world. The atmosphere in our homes shapes every single thing about them. Are you competitive? Are you proud? Are you moody? Do not be surprised when your children act exactly the same way. Are you quick to apologize and humble yourself? Then your children will also reflect that. This takes me to the place that I want to go this morning. We have the extreme privilege of listening into Jesus' final prayer for us before he left this earth. Think about it. 
we get to listen to God in the flesh pray for his children. The king of the universe was getting ready to die, but he took the time to pray. He prayed first for himself, then he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for the people that would believe in him after he was gone, which is all of us and the people that were there then. We would think that he would pray for things like helping the poor, to keep us from sinning, that we would walk in truth. And all those things are important, but they were not the thing on his mind before he left. There was one thing on his mind before he left, and it was unity. Remember the thing that gives people a true view of the inside of someone's private life is their children. Children bring glory to their parents And children bring shame to their parents. Proverbs even says a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. You can argue that all you want to. But God's word is the truth. It stands. It's um, sharp. It hurts. But it's the truth. God's way of showing the world himself is through our unity and our love for each other. As his children. I would not care if my children all became doctors and lawyers and lived in different places in the world, and had um, big homes and all that, if they hated each other, that would mean absolutely nothing to me. I would rather them do the lowest job imaginable and love each other than be successful and hate each other. Jesus knew this, and he prayed it specifically before his crucifixion. Every word from his mouth is spirit and life. We should all look at those red letters in the Bible and be in our, on our faces in repentance and worship. I've gone back and I'm reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've just started Acts. But I think I want to read those over and over and over again and read those words from heaven. We have God in the flesh on this planet speaking words from another universe. And as Jordan preached last week, if we will get down before him and humble ourselves, he will take those words and he will show us who he is and transform us into being like him. We wouldn't have to open our mouths so much if we were actually like him. People would be coming to us. Scripture says, be ready with an answer to give everybody for the hope that's in you. That means people should be asking what it is in us that makes us have the hope that we have. We think our voices screaming truth will make the world know who God is. Nothing is further from the truth. There is one way the world will know the Father and believe in Jesus, his Son. And we're going to read it in Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. That's me and you. That we as Christians would be one like Jesus and God the Father. How do you get more one than that? He said, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our oneness will show the world that God sent Jesus. 
He said, I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Do you think this is important to Jesus? Do you think God didn't hear him the first time? He prays it more than once. He said, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, if this happens, he said, then the world, the cosmos, the world around them, that's not just Christians, that's the whole world, will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And it hit me even on the way to work. I've been so immersed in this, it's all I could think about. But you've got God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and they are one. The reason Jesus could pray a prayer like that is you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in his children. That's what makes us one. It is a mystery and it is a miracle. But it's the truth. And Jesus Christ would have never prayed this prayer if it was not possible and was not what he wanted and expected. He wanted us to love each other so deeply and be so one with each other that everyone would look at us and see what God is like. God's children are supposed to show the entire world what the kingdom of heaven is like. We are to be a reflection of our home life. Another great mystery is this. We're a citizen in the United States right now or wherever you're listening. We are a citizen here, but we also have a citizenship in heaven. We are dual citizens. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 says. For he raised us up from the dead, and we're all dead until we're raised up with Christ. You may look like you're alive, but if you don't have Christ, you're dead. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Do we understand that privilege that he has raised us up and seated us with him? Spiritually speaking, I'm, physically speaking, I'm standing right here, but spiritually I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies. It said God did this so that he could point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God wanted to point to us, his children, and go, that's what I'm like. That's what it's like to be part of my family. Don't you want to join my family? How it must grieve God that he's put his Holy Spirit in us and we act like spoiled brats and mistreat our siblings. As we do this, the world looks into our family life and comes to the conclusion that we are orphans and that we have no good father. They see children who are wild and out of control, who hate each other and devour each other. Communities all over this world should see a beautiful and powerful family who reflect the goodness and love of their father. They should see something so otherworldly in us that they long to be part of our family. They should see a warmth and a light that welcomes them to come in and out of their darkness. The Big C Church has done something disgraceful. We have separated into different denominations, built on platforms like abortion, tongues, homosexuality, roles of men and women, 
Calvinism, Arminianism, alcohol, no alcohol, eternal security, free will, blah, 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 blah. We stand from our high places knowing God is on our side and we fight each other as a watching world goes straight to hell. People on the outside want nothing to do with us. I'm not speaking of compromise with sin. I'm speaking of keeping the main thing the main thing. Paul said it best. And so it was with me, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. This is Paul, one of the smartest men that ever walked the face of the earth. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he also said, Pray for me also at the end of the book of Ephesians that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in chains. He was in prison. And the one thing he wanted, he said, pray for me that this awesome mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I will be able to speak it clearly everywhere I go. I want to declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul's life affected millions, maybe billions of people. His life affects me today. And there's another man who I've talked about when I've preached before. His name's Watchman Nee. I've read many of his books. One of the greatest books he wrote was The Release of the Spirit. Incredible. The insight God gave him into his word. He wrote a book on the book of Romans. He's just, his mind was unbelievable. And, and just what God gave him in his mind, it's, it's mind-blowing. But he was put in prison for the last 20 years of his life. He was basically alone. I think his wife was allowed to come visit him some. But he died alone after 20 years in prison. And underneath his pillow, they pulled his little bit of belongings. His niece came to get it because his wife died right before he died, which broke his heart. But um, she came to get his belongings. And underneath his pillow, crumpled up on a piece of paper, this was written. Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and was resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. And I was researching Watchman Nee's life a little bit. And it is estimated China has one of the greatest churches on the face of the planet. They're under persecution, but they are a mighty army for God there. And it's estimated that China has more than 100 million Christians, and millions of them consider themselves the spiritual heirs of Watchman Nee. He kept the main thing, the main thing. We act like the mystery of the gospel is a side note instead of the greatest truth in the universe. We are all born in sin, dead to God with hell in us. We wonder why God lets a world be like a world is. The hell that's inside of us at birth, that we grow up and we act out what's inside of us. It's a wonder. It's not worse. God has let us do exactly what we want to do, which is live a life without Him. That we're born in that sin, we're hopeless, and we're all hostile to God from birth. And through Jesus, we are able to be born again. It is the greatest truth in the universe. 
And now that we're born again, we should reflect the nature of our Father in heaven. Other believers are our spiritual family, and the one thing we should be is unified, not divided. Paul said something shocking about people who were preaching Christ with bad motives, who actually hated him and wanted to ruin him. He didn't correct them or publicly malign them. Listen to the scripture. He said, what then is the issue? Just this, that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. He didn't worry about other people. False teachers, yeah, he'd say something about them. But even if people had bad motives, they were not his enemy. He said, I just want Christ preached in this world. However that happens, I just want him preached. We don't have to correct every person on the planet, but we shouldn't make enemies out of brothers and sisters. They are not our enemy. We have one enemy, and it is Satan. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We do not struggle against flesh and blood. That is so hard for us to remember. We so want to make people into our enemies. I remember Watchman Nee said that. He said, I am never against people. He said, I I have one enemy and it is Satan and that is it. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Jesus meant for the Unity he prayed for to be a powerful weapon to defeat the darkness in this world. When we are divided and full of hatred toward each other, Satan can let denominations grow massive and powerful. He can let preachers be famous with a lot of influence. Egos can get large and knowledge can abound. As long as we keep each other at arm's length, belittle each other, preach against each other, and forget about the glory of Jesus Christ and the fact that God made a way for sinful human beings to be filled with the very life of God. Not only filled, we can be filled to overflowing. Jesus said, out of us, rivers of living water are to flow. We're supposed to be so satiated, so full of God that we can't hold him in and everybody that comes into contact with us should be drenched with the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit has not changed. We have. We think all God cares about is truth. And some people are going to get mad because I said that. But we think it's all God cares about is truth. All the religious leaders who killed Jesus Christ cared about was the truth, according to them. And each different denomination or sect thought they had the truth and they had the corner on God. They had scripture everywhere on the doorposts of their house. They had it written on the, on the gates, on their hands, on their forehead. They couldn't have known scripture. They knew it better than anybody that we probably know. Jesus said this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When we come to Jesus Christ, he shuts our mouth. We can argue scripture all day long, but to truly come into the presence of Jesus Christ and let him teach us, puts us on our, on our face like it did Isaiah, like it did John. 
when you come to when you come into contact with God, it's a whole different ballgame. Jesus disgusted these religious leaders. He didn't obey their rigid rules. He made fools of them when they tried to corner him with trick questions. He ate with sinners. He forgave a woman caught in the very act of adultery. He talked to and validated women and children. He healed on the Sabbath. He drove people out of the temple. He was never intimidated by anyone. I loved when they said something to him about Herod, and he said, you go tell that fox. I'll go do what I want to do. I love him. He showed himself first to Mary Magdalene after he was resurrected. He had cast seven demons out of her, and she was one of his biggest followers. And he told her to go tell his brothers that he was resurrected. They weren't there. They were hiding. It didn't matter that she had seven demons before. She was a child of God. He was bad to the bone in the best of ways. And he didn't give a flip what people thought of him. He is my hero. Almost every church, every Sunday in the world preaches against Pharisees. But here we are doing the exact same thing the religious leaders throughout the history of the church have done. Argue and hate each other. God wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be like Jesus was when he was being crucified. And those religious leaders around him who had scripture written all over them, they were mocking him and wagging their heads. And what came out of them was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I want to tell all of us, brothers and sisters, if people knew who Jesus was and who the Holy Spirit is, they would never do the things they do. They would run to him. They're blind, just like those religious leaders were. And Jesus felt bad for them, and he interceded for them. And we want to go, oh, that's Jesus. But then we have another man who wasn't even an apostle. He was a leader, Stephen. And he told the truth to the religious people. And they got so angry with him that they took stones and they stoned him to death. They killed him. And as he was dying, he looked up and in heaven it parted for him. The lengths God would go to for each of us. That was not just the book of Acts. We think, oh, God did miracles in the book of Acts. If God doesn't do miracles anymore, he's not God. God can't change. But as he was dying, he looked up, heaven opened. And he saw Jesus Christ standing up. And I read something yesterday. I heard a a lady talking about being in Auschwitz. And they took her away from her mother. She was a twin. And she said the last thing she remembered was her mother's outstretched arms crying for her because that was her baby being taken away. And when I read this, I thought that must be what Jesus was like when he stood up. I bet his arms were stretched out because he was so proud of his Stephen, who was being a bold witness for him without compromise. He called them stiff-necked people, always resisting the Holy Spirit. They couldn't take it anymore. They gnashed their teeth and they ran at him and they killed him. And he looked up and he saw Jesus and he said, don't hold this sin against them. And it says the people that looked at him said his face looked like the face of an angel. Why do our faces not look like that? Why are we not like that? 
Don't tell me we can't live in this world like Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the answer to everything. People come to me and they want to tell me these hard places people are in and this and that, their past or whatever. No one will ever convince me that the Holy Spirit of the living God cannot do anything and everything in a human being that will let him or her. We not only have the final prayer of Jesus for the church recorded, but we also have his final words before he ascended to heaven in the book of Acts, chapter 1. He tells them, he's standing there with his disciples. I can't imagine what it must have been like to live there when Jesus was there, to see him do the things he did, to walk in a room where the doors were locked. I mean, it's just, we read it like it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. But he's standing there and he's getting ready to be taken up into heaven. And he tells all these disciples, he says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here. And you're going to be clothed with power. And he told them, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You would think they would be like, oh my, what? You're going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? But they didn't. They immediately start asking Jesus if he's going to restore their earthly kingdom. He just told them they would get the greatest gift a human being could ever receive. And all they cared about was the here and now and earthly power. Oh, we are so much still like that. To that he answers, none ya. None ya business. <laughs> Just a little levity here in the middle of all this. <laughs> That's my translation, but this is actually what he said. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. What he's saying is don't even worry about any about anything about that because I'm getting ready to blow your mind. I'm getting ready to rock your world. I'm getting ready to blow this planet up with my presence. He said, and these are straight from Jesus' mouth, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that word power is dunamis, miraculous might, power, strength, the ability to perform power through God's ability. So we have Jesus' prayer for unity and Jesus' promise to have power. And we get the privilege of seeing what that looked like in the book of Acts. The Spirit came and something incredible happened. God answered Jesus' prayer and what Jesus told them came to pass. We can trust his words. Listen to this, Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Do you hear that? They don't care about money or their stuff anymore. That ought to convince the world that there's a God if we could just get to there. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Do you know why you eat with people? Because you love them. You don't want people over to dinner that you hate. They wanted to be together at the church they wanted to be together in their homes. And it says they had glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
That means the outsiders looking in were like, whoa, look at those people. They took notice. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What was going on in their unity and their love for each other and the power of the Holy Spirit that was on them? People looked into the church and started joining them every single day. In the first few chapters of Acts alone, over 5,000 men were saved and added to the church. That's not including women and children. When the church was unified, people believed that Jesus came from God and the Lord saved people daily. This wasn't a religion. God meant for our unity to point to one person, and it is Jesus Christ. We are not meant to be united to all religions. We are meant to be united to each other. Every other religion is false, period. Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and was resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. God took 120 people from that upper room. He filled them with his spirit and started a movement that we are still seeing today. Every single day of our lives, we should focus on that one thing. God has put his holy fire down in us, and our one goal in life should be to keep that fire going. In the Old Testament, God's fire came down and started a fire for the altar. And it was the priest's job to keep that fire going. It was started by God, but they had to keep it going. We can't baptize ourselves in the Holy Spirit, but we can make our one aim to keep that fire burning in us and to bring it to a full flame. We should all be so on fire for God that people should come from everywhere just to watch us burn. Yet we are so worried about who is right and who is wrong. And I'm going to tell you something. We all are both. We are right about a lot, and we are all wrong about a lot, me included. Ain't nobody on the planet knows this book cover to cover without error in the way they think. The only one that didn't was Jesus Christ. That's why when he taught, people said he, he teaches as one who has authority. They were blown away because he came from a different place. He just said, this is what it means. He didn't say, I think this is what it means. He knew what it meant. Nobody else knows exactly everything that this book means. And the only way that any of us know is if the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We are fallible. The one thing that should unite us all is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the gospel. And that should be the only hill that we are willing to die on. The unity we see after the Holy Spirit came is incredible. We saw that in Acts 2. I just read about that. But in Acts 4, listen to what it says. God answered the prayer of Jesus in a powerful way. It says, all, all, the believers were one in heart and mind. Why were they one in heart and mind? Because they were full of the Holy Spirit. He is not divided. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. How seriously and personally does God take it when we do what he says and someone comes against his unified body with their own agenda? We get to see this in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. you got to understand that everybody was seeing what was going on and they were amazed at the church. The church was held in high esteem. And you have two people over here that want to act like they're part of that and they want a little bit of the glory 
that comes that should go to God alone. Because people were selling fields and all this kind of stuff and getting the money. And they were so full of the Holy Spirit that they brought it. They didn't even care about it anymore. All they wanted to do was give everything they had and give it to anybody that needed it. It was a beautiful thing. And these two wanted to insert themselves, take the glory of God, and act like they were something they were not. And this is the New Testament we have to understand. When the church was doing what the church was supposed to do, God took care of whoever came against them. They came in there and put that money down. And one of them came in. Ananias came in first. And he put the money at Peter's feet. And nobody knew any of this. As far as I know, only the Holy Spirit and those two people knew. But all of a sudden, Peter knew. And he asked Ananias why he was lying to the Holy Spirit. And God killed him dead on the spot. His wife came in three hours later and had no idea what had happened, but they had agreed together to do this mess in the middle of God's beautiful church. And she said the same thing that her husband said, and Peter said, the, the people that carried your husband out are going to come carry you, and boom, God killed her. The people were, were one. Unity was everywhere. These two came against that. Nobody had to take care of them. God did. Everyone who heard about it Great fear seized them, seized the church and everybody else. I bet that got rid of the hypocrites just a little bit. Lord have mercy, if God did that today, we'd all be dead, I'm sure. If we would just stop fighting each other and come together, how God would show his mighty arm and fight our battles for us, and I believe he would bring a great revival to this entire world. Everyone thinks God is on their side. God does not take sides. God takes over. I love in the book of Joshua when he comes against the, the angel of the Lord. And I believe that's probably Christ. He comes to him and he says, are you on our side or on the side of our enemies? And I just love it. He said, neither. He's, he's the captain of the Lord's army. God's not on our side. God's for God. But you know what gives me great hope? In the book of Joel, chapter 2. It says in the last days, this is what God says. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Prophesy is not just to give the future. Prophesy is to reveal the mind of God. In a particular situation, what I'm teaching today is so much along the lines of what Jordan's been preaching. And, and Jordan preached that fabulous series years ago called Platforms. And it's not that I'm doing what Jordan's doing. I was just studying and this is what God taught me and it just hit me. I thought, why, if this is the mind of God, would he veer away from it? He is trying to get a message to his people in the last days. Because even though that scripture was fulfilled... In the book of Acts, because it's in Joel and then it's in the book of Acts. Peter said, what you see today is what God spoke of in the book of Acts. It happened on Pentecost, but I believe God spoke about the latter rain also in the book of Joel, where God's going to pour out his spirit again on his church. I believe he's about to clothe us with power and we will be of one heart and one mind again. I, I just believe it. The reason I believe it is because Jesus prayed for unity and Jesus gets what he asks of the Father. That scripture says, I will pour out my spirit. And when that happens, unity will come. When God baptized me with his Holy Spirit and clothed me with power, 
I was overwhelmed with how loved I was and how much God loved every other person on the planet. Another thing that happened was I knew how little I really understood about who God is. He is mysterious and he is awesome on a level that we can't comprehend. I still feel that way and I'm okay with it. I spend my life studying this scripture and I know so little about God when it comes right down to it. Before that time, I had all the answers. Now I'm simply in awe of the fact that I am born again and God lives inside of me. Why would I care about anything else? Some of you heard me preach a few weeks ago about the fact that I went through a season, although a short season, it was a season of having no power with God. I turned to Him with weeping and mourning and a desperately broken heart. The only people who are satisfied without the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives are people who have never experienced Him in a real way. To know the Holy Spirit power, to know Holy Spirit power and lose it is the most horrible thing I can think of. To every person listening to me right now, I want to give you a truth. You have as much of God as you want. If you are not clothed with power, it is because you desire something else more. And it is the greatest sin I can think of. Jordan preached one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard, and he ended with a letter to the church. He spoke about a window of time that God always gives to repent so he can bless us and not have to bring judgment. That is straight out of Scripture. In the book of Joel, before he said, I will pour out my spirit, listen to what God said to his people. That is why the Lord says, and I want you to listen to these words. He says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing and your grief. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for He is... And listen to this. Does it say He's angry and hates you? No. It says, God knows we're scared. And God knows our rebellion makes us feel so ashamed. And our half-heartedness makes us feel so ashamed. So He says, come to me and repent. And listen to how he describes himself. He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and he is filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish us. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? God changed the world with 120 people who were filled with his spirit. What might he do if everybody listening right now got serious and got filled with his spirit? Let's find out. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you. You know us. You know we're afraid. We're afraid of the very one who can bring us life and set us on fire. Your fire scares us. But God, just like the bush that Moses came to, you consumed that bush with fire, but you did not destroy it. God, your fire seems frightening to us. But when you put your fire in us and your Holy Spirit, it is the very source of life. 
and everything else. God, give us the courage to say no to everything else and to make our one goal in life to know and love you and be filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.